and welcome back to another episode of the Bad at Math, Good with Money podcast. I am your super excited host, Dr. Tamara Dias, but we're friends, so you can call me Tamara or Dr. D, depending on what you prefer. And I'm so excited that you've joined me for another episode of this conversation that we're going to have about money. Now, listen. On the first episode, I let y'all know that the whole premise of our time together in this conversation is to demystify the topic of money. I can tell you that just in my journey as a woman, as a black woman, I've navigated my professional career and sometimes just been afraid to talk about money, especially when it has come up in salary negotiations, when it's come up at the end of the year for performance reviews, and I've had to talk about a year in bonus. And so I really thought about what if we create a space where people feel empowered to own the conversation about money, whether that is getting out of debt, whether that's saving for a home, Whether it is going after that bonus on your job, I want to create space for that conversation to happen and for you to begin thinking about that. So you're in the right place if you've ever felt like you're bad at math, but you want to get good with money, then you're totally welcome here. No matter where you're at, your situation in life, uh, someone has been there or at least close to where you're at. And, you know, there's solutions for, you know, whether you think you're at the top tier of what we're talking about or if you struggle with it, um, you know, we definitely have a device for the full spectrum. For sure. And if you missed the first episode, that's my good friend, producer Zach. Um, I like to say he's going to keep me on track to make sure that I stay in line and that I give you all the good tips and that I don't get too excited and off topic. So he'll make sure that everything runs smoothly and that we have a great time together. So you might be wondering, like, what makes her qualified to talk about money? I won't talk too long. You got to follow me on Instagram for that at Dr. Tamara W. Dias. But I am a licensed financial social work educator. Um, And that just really means that when it comes to money, I really partner with individuals not to just talk about budget or not to even talk in theory, but to really approach it from a personal one on one What is your individual journey and relationship with money? And then empower you to make decisions based on where you want to go in your financial journey. It's not one size fits all. It's not copy and paste. And so my background in that, as well as my background as having a doctorate in education, really equips me to have education focused conversations where you can take what you learn and immediately apply it to your lifestyle or to whatever your goals are. All right. So today We're going to jump into a conversation around resilient budgeting. All right. Again, if budgeting is a scary word for you, no worries, because I don't have any spreadsheets for you today. I'm not going to pull out any fancy documents for you. This is solely a conversation on the idea of resilient budgeting and what it means. So, you know, we're coming out of this thing called a global pandemic. Um, We had this giant, unexpected global pandemic that hit all of us out of nowhere. If you're like me, then you're probably someone that like logged on to the internet or you watched the news and you thought, oh, just two weeks. We'll be back to normal in two weeks. I'll get two weeks off work. I'll be back at work. Everything will be fine. And then we went on pretty much like multiple years of having to reorganize, restructure our lives. And for many of us, restructure our finances. So whether you were laid off from work, so we saw companies downsize, so people lost their jobs during a global pandemic. We saw companies that kind of paused um, and did furloughs because they just didn't, you know, if you worked at at a hotel, you didn't have people checking in because there was a pandemic. So people had to figure out, 
I planned on going to work today and now my income is gone. Um, maybe you got a job during the pandemic. So we also saw like this tech boom where a lot of people maybe left their um, typical nine to five roles and went into like a tech focused role. So maybe you got more money during the pandemic than you thought you were going to have. What I've learned is that whether it's a global pandemic, whether it's a layoff, whether it's your student loans coming back and you got to pay that monthly payment, things happen. Emergencies happen. You need a new roof. Your car needs new brakes. You blow a tire on the side of the road. Emergencies come up. And unfortunately, sometimes what happens is that when emergencies come up, we get so focused on the emergency that we lose track of what our actual goal is. So maybe you set out to say, I'm going to save $10,000 for a down payment on a home. And then your water heater in your current home went out and you had to pay for that. And so you immediately said, well, now that I had to pay for the water heater, I don't even want to save anymore. I don't even want to think about it. I just want to focus on this new water heater. And it's okay to pause, but what you don't want to do is completely give up. And so I wanted to talk today about resilient budgeting because we all got to learn how to be resilient budgeters. And all a budget is, is telling your money where to go. So we're not even, again, going to get into the numbers or how much you should put aside or how much your budget should allocate to each category. We're not going there today. We're simply going to talk about the practice of how you create a routine in your life or rhythm for knowing that as things pop up, as emergencies arise, as exciting things come up for you, maybe you reach a goal and you have to figure out, well, now how do I restructure because I've accomplished what I set out to do. Create an opportunity for your budget to be a space where you can embrace these challenges, you can embrace these opportunities from a place of accepting them and then getting right back on track to whatever you set out to do. All right, so when we first talk about resilient budgeting, the first thing I'm going to have you do is simply look at your income and your expenses. That's all I want you to do. I didn't say go buy a book. I didn't say enroll in a webinar. I didn't say call your three best friends and do a vision board party. All you're doing is assessing your current income and expenses. And this doesn't take much. You can literally get a sheet of paper. You don't even have to go buy a notebook. Just grab a legal pad. If you have a laptop, pull up a blank document and literally just map out month to month how much money do you have coming in. So look at your pay stubs, look at your paychecks. Calculate how much that is. If you're a contractor and maybe your income fluctuates, I would maybe suggest you look at the previous maybe 90 days of income just to kind of get an average amount there and maybe kind of average it out where if you brought in 4000 last month, 3000 the month before, 10000 the month before that, take all those amounts up, divide it by three and kind of give you an average for what you can expect. And then from that, look at your expenses, all your expenses. Print out that bank statement and look at how much you have going to subscriptions. How much do you have going to your rent or your mortgage? If you have a car payment, if you're like me and you cry because you make a student loan payment, um, if you're spending, you know, $150 a week on Uber Eats, you want to note that because that's a part of your expenses. And again, no shame here, right? Like I didn't say look at it and then cut out Uber Eats. You just want to look at it. Your main goal when you're thinking about resilient budgeting is knowing where the money is going. Don't immediately think you have to make a change or make a shift. We simply want to start with being aware of where the money is and how much money we're bringing in per month. When you do that, it gives you a solid foundation to know where you need to go in the future. So one of my hobbies, for example, is running. I know I'm crazy. I run without being chased. 
go figure. Um, and so I've trained for a half marathon a few times. I've done six half marathons. But every time I train for a new half marathon, if I'm working with a coach, the first thing my coach will ask me is, well, how much have you run lately? Like, what is your starting point? And once they have an understanding of that, then they'll build a full training plan. But they don't just say like, oh, you want to run? Cool. Here's a plan. Go for it. Because that would be like them building a plan without actually knowing what my current level of fitness is. If I haven't run in seven months, my plan is going to look a lot different than if I just ran 10 miles last week. Our money works the same way. When you're thinking about being a resilient budgeter, you're really starting with, I need to know where to, I need to know where I begin. I need to know what my foundation is. Once you do that, you'll be set up for success in the future. Now you can breathe because that was the longest one. You're like, that was a lot of work. That's the longest one. And that one, I would actually say, like, if you start there, give yourself some time because the next two tips I'm going to give you are so simple. Once you built that foundation, you're like, oh, that's it, Tara? That's it? I can go do that right now. I've done the income and expenses. What else you got for me? Let's jump right in. So the second thing I want you to do when you're thinking about once you've allocated and you know, okay, this is how much I spend on dining out. This is how much goes to bills. This is how much goes to subscriptions. Then I want you to think about creating flexible spending categories. Again, if you are terrified of a complicated spreadsheet or even a budgeting app, then this is always going to be a really good opportunity for you. And a flexible spending category just means that you allocate an amount, but you give yourself wiggle room in there. So for example, if you notice that last month you spent $200 on groceries but you also know you might be doing a big family dinner coming up. And so you're like, I don't really know if I can allocate $200. It doesn't make sense for me. Because what happens is we'll look at our budget and we'll say, well, I spent $200 last month. I'm going to spend $200 this month. But we don't plan for the friends coming into town or helping, you know, you agree to bake cookies for somebody. Or you got the urge to, you know, cook a dinner that you saw on TV. So by giving yourself a flexible spending account, you bu you budget in a little buffer for you. So maybe you'll say instead of $200, I'll do 250 this month. Give yourself some wiggle room in your flexible spending categories. What that does is it doesn't really restrict you as tightly to a line by line itemized budget. I like to start there because for me, I love dining out. I love going out to eat with my friends. I love a good happy hour. And so sometimes I know one month may have more events than the other. And so I may not say I'm only going to spend $300 this month and that's it. I may say I'll give myself up to $375 this month, but I also know next month it might be $200. By having flexible spending opportunities, you're able to then adjust with life events, with special events that come up. If you got a wedding, if you have somebody that's having a baby, if you have a birthday you're celebrating, these flexible categories in your budget give you room to think about all of these events. That sounds something very similar to what I do. I call it my, uh, what do I call it? My CIF, crap I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that just gives me, you know, that just gives me, like you said, it gives me that wiggle room. Um, I, you know, I'm terrified of Microsoft Excel, so you'll never <laughs> see me do it on a, on a spreadsheet, but just on my notes app on my phone or, or on my, you know, pen and pad at home. So that sounds something, uh, you know, hitting close to home over here. That's something I do as well. For sure. And again, like a spreadsheet isn't going to be for everybody. I know personally, like I have friends 
where if I were to call them and say, hey, I got a new spreadsheet for you, they'd hang up on me. Conversation would be done. They, they wouldn't respond to my text messages for weeks because the idea of having to like enter in every transaction or track every little expense seems like the worst thing they could do with their time. So that flexibility really for a lot of people is a great starting point, especially if you've never really budgeted before. Committing to such an in-depth process early on can be discouraging in itself. So that flexible budgeting category is really awesome to, to start out there. All right, so what goes hand in hand with having a flexible category? Reviewing and adjusting consistently. So I like to say month to month, uh, set a little budget date with yourself and reassess if that flexible category is working. So again, if you know that a month of special events is coming up, I know for me, like for some reason, so many things in my life happen in April. I feel like everybody in my life has either an anniversary, a birthday in April. I have nieces or nephews that I'm like, they're having something in April too. So during that month, I know I got to be a little bit more flexible in maybe my gift category for how much I want to allocate there. But I need to reassess it at the end of April because May might look completely different. I might have nothing happening in May. And so I can say, oh, I don't really have any gifts coming up for May. So I can spend a little bit more when it comes to like my flexibility for dining out or even maybe going on a trip, taking a weekend trip for myself. Giving yourself that opportunity to pause and assess regularly is so important. And again, you don't have to do it line by line. You can really just look at your statement and see, okay, there's 10 transactions on here where I've gone out to eat. Maybe I don't want to do that next month. Maybe I want to try and stick to maybe five. That's a really good way to kind of set those flexible goals. But again, you don't have to say I spent $30.42 just th this month. Okay, now I got to add that up and, and figure out how I can add in $30.42 from something else. That can be really scary and frightening. So all you want to do is just get a little pulse check at the end of the month and say, okay, what's coming up for me next month? What did I spend this month? And what adjustments do I want to make? Maybe you want to save. You can allocate that. You can plan for that. But again, being a resilient budgeter allows you to think about emergencies that may have popped up in the past month. And that pause at the end of the month will give you that boost to, okay, this might've been a rough month, but now next month I want to get back on track. I want to get back to my goal. I want to get refocused. And that's a great time for that. All right. And then the last one, stay informed. So I am a lifelong learner. I love classes. I always say like I'd go back and get another degree if I could. Like I, enroll me in a university at, at any price possible. I'd be a professional student all day. If there was a job description for it, sign me up for it. But there are so many free tools out there for you when it comes to staying informed about money. Um, for one, if you follow me, I have a newsletter that goes out once a week. Um, you can find that link directly in my Instagram bio, of course. I post about it often. And literally weekly, I send out tips to everybody on my email list about something that they can do actionable every week when it comes to their money. Not overwhelming. It's a quick three, five minute read, because I know we're all busy, comes directly to your inbox, completely free. Um, of course, this podcast is a great way to stay informed. So like, share, subscribe, make sure that you're updated and linked in here consistently. That way, when we release new episodes, you know, I'm going to talk about a topic as it pertains to your finances here, where you can get plugged in and connected to those resources. Um, and then your local library. 
tons of books out there about money. I could be on forever if I recommended them to you. But literally, you can just go to the finance section. You can go to your library and say, like, where's where's your finance section? Where can I find books about money? And you can find tons and literally about any topic. There's books on debt. There's books on investing. There's books on property management. There's books on cryptocurrency. There's books on 401k. I mean, literally any topic you want. And libraries are free. So I didn't even tell you to go to a bookstore and buy a book. You can go get one from a library and start there. But you want to make sure that you're not just saying, oh, I, you know, I'll worry about my money later or I'll think about that later. Really invest into your own learning because I think it's important. I think about the fact that a lot of us go to college for four years to learn about a thing. And what would it be if we actually applied that much effort to our financial journey? If we applied one eighteenth of that effort to our financial journey and how we approach our money. It's a shame, maybe this is a separate topic, but it's a shame this isn't touched upon more like in middle school and high school, kind of before they're, uh, you know, before someone is uh, thrown into the deep end, if you will. So hopefully, you know, some of the resources that you mentioned um, can get people up to speed where, uh, you know, maybe they should have been, you know, prior. For sure. And, you know, I think about too, like, what if most of us had a course in financial literacy, money management in middle school, high school? what type of adults would we be? We'd probably be a lot different if we'd been talking about this at 13, 14, before we got our first jobs. Um, I know even when like in college, after college graduation, when a lot of us sat down and maybe signed that first nine to five contract, we were thinking, I think this is enough, this, I guess. And you know, we're signing 401k enrollment and we don't even know what we're signing. We're just initially going, okay, it's a benefit. I'll take it. And so I think too, like being informed allows you to make decisions that are in your best interest. Even though I'm someone who coaches people about their financial journey, I still want to empower them to ask questions, to push back, to say, I'm not sure what that means, or don't skip over that. Come back to that and explain that a little bit more. So you want to stay informed and invest in your own financial education for the future. All right. So we're going to shift into our wellness connection for this episode. And that is simply where I connect the information that I've just shared with you and to how this can be a wellness practice for you. Why does this matter? As I share often, financial wellness for me is not even necessarily hitting a certain amount in the bank, even though that might be what it is for you. It may look like paying down debt. But really for me, financial wellness is not waking up in the middle of the night worried about your financial situation, not going to bed frustrated and overwhelmed, but it's living a life to where money doesn't shift you into a space of overwhelmed. It shifts you into a space of ease or even hope. Um, maybe even if you're not where you are right now, the topic doesn't bring you as much stress as it does hope about where you could be in the future. So this week's wellness connection um, is really understanding that along the lines of resilient budgeting, giving yourself grace is essential to the long-term financial success in your life. Um, emergencies will come, celebrations will come, but the key to resilient budgeting is being flexible with yourself and with life. So understanding that even if an emergency pops up that you're not prepared for, it doesn't mean that you won't hit that goal. It just means you might need to reassess where you are right now and then come back to it later. But you want to make sure that you're giving yourself grace, give that budget some grace, and then you still come back and hold on to what you set out to do at the beginning. Okay, now we're going to shift into the Ask Tamra segment or the Ask Dr. D segment. Again, I said we're friends. So whichever one you want to call me, feel free. And this is where I take questions from you. 
So of course, if you're watching this episode and you're thinking this is bringing up some questions for me, or you talked about this topic and I'd love to know more about it, comment, comment below, let me know, communicate with me. If I say something that resonates with you, let me know. Of course, like it, share it with your friends. If you think you have a cousin or an aunt or a best friend that needs to listen, share it with them too, because I want to know what they have to say as well. So this week's question is how do I decide how to balance out liquid savings versus invested savings? So if you're someone that's thinking, well, what is the difference? What does that mean? I got you. Liquid is exactly what it sounds like, cash money. You can go get it easily accessible, whether it's at a bank, whether you're like my grandma, you keep it in a shoebox, under the mattress. It is accessible to you. It is cash money. Invested savings are going to be a little bit different. These are going to be the ones that may be held up in the stock market. Um, so maybe you have to sell or buy in order to access those, or they might be held up in your 401k and so or retirement of your choice. And so what that means is that they're invested and there could be penalties associated with that, which means that if you pull it out too early, you have to pay a portion of that back or you lose a portion of that money. Um, and so what is the balance in that? How do we know what should be cash, liquid, easily accessible versus what should be in investments? Now, what I'm going to say is that this is solely dependent on each person's financial goals. I also say sometimes it might even be dependent on whether you're married, single, have children, don't have children. Everybody's financial situation is different. But you're like, Tamara, answer the question. What, what is it? You're, you, share, you shared the question, so give us the answer. I got you. So the rule of thumb here is that for liquid savings, which for me typically looks like an emergency fund or money that I have on hand just in case life happens, I say that this should be three to six months. So looking, as I shared at the beginning, where I told you to go get your little pen and your notepad and write down those expenses, knowing what three to six months of those expenses looks like and having that easily accessible for you. So what this means is, you know, for example, if you are someone who gets laid off or loses a job, you don't have to fill out 30 forms of paperwork to get to the money. You know, I got three to six months of savings easily accessible. I also say three to six months because typically you don't want your whole life savings in a savings account. It's not going to grow at its best by making that little small percentage of gains year to year. So I want to say as long as you have that three to six months emergency fund or living expenses saved away, then that can give you that good buffer of security. Again, depending on what your marital situation looks like or if you have kids, you may decide to go a little bit higher. But three to six months is usually the safe, safe amount. And I think it's important to point out too, you know, if you if you hear that, oh, I have to have three to six months of my life saved. I think initially, if you're not a if you're not a saver, right, to refer back <laughs> yeah, to yeah. episode one, I think that might feel like a little um, anxiety inducing to you. Uh, you know, I would argue though that if you have those practices, it's a lot less anxiety inducing if you have it than you don't. Yes. So kind of like compounding interest and, and things like that, you know, compounding interest from your savings aspect, you want it to, you want to start that be because uh, again, it's a little, uh, you know, a little in your face <laughs> at the beginning. However, you're, you'll thank yourself later. Absolutely. And when it comes to that emergency fund, I also want to remind you too, that if that idea is like, I don't have three to six months, where do I start? 
start somewhere. Maybe you start with one month. So for me, I know my first job straight out of college, I wasn't making enough to even think about saving three to six months. I was just figuring out what to do with this paycheck. What does this mean? There's taxes coming out more than I thought were coming out. The lifestyle that I thought I was going to live might not actually fit with what I was making. And so start off small. Start off with one month being a goal first. And then once you get to that, then do two months, then do three months. And then, you know, give yourself those small incremental opportunities towards having that liquid cash saved up as well. Now, your long term investments, retirement, I say once you have that three to six months saved up, you can jump all in to your long-term investments. And so for, as I mentioned, that can look like retirement, that can look like stocks, bonds, mutual funds, um, or any other investment vehicle. Or even if you're thinking about maybe buying a property where you've got your three to six months saved and you're thinking, now I think I want to save up and buy a rental home or, or you know, rent out space and think about how much that's going to cost. Your long-term savings are going to be things that you're looking at making money for you maybe three to five plus years down the line. So again, this is nothing that you want to access readily. And this amount is totally up to you. So once you have that three to six months of an emergency fund saved, I think you can jump in and then start setting some of those big retirement and investment goals um, and look at where you want to be kind of in the future for that. If my company that I'm working for doesn't have a 401 a 401k, uh, maybe I'm self-employed, maybe I'm a contractor, and I don't have those long-term investments um, handled by my company, is there a certain age where I should like really be focused on making that a priority? I'm sure it's you know start whenever you uh, whenever you can, but is there you know in your opinion is there is there an age where I really have to kind of get buckled down and, and think um, a lot about that if it's not taken care for me? Great question. So I'm actually going to be cliche. Uh, start today, um, and I say that because like the quote that I often tell my clients is today you're as young as you'll ever be. And the earlier you put that money in, the quicker it can start growing for you. But I also don't want you to be discouraged if you're listening and you're like, I'm 55. What's the point? Like, why am I listening to this podcast <laughs> if you're telling me I should have started when I was 24? It's not too late for you to start. But what it does mean, again, is you might just have to be a little bit more aggressive in how much you set aside. And you might want more variety. So maybe if you are in your late 20s, maybe you do focus a little bit more on retirement because you have more working years ahead of you. But maybe if not, maybe you figure out, well, how can I maximize the property that I own? Or maybe I want to try looking at my stocks and maybe putting a little bit more effort into that. I always say that you want to have diversity in where your long-term investments are. I wouldn't say put it all into a property. I wouldn't say put all of your effort into retirement, but really sit down and think about what your financial goals are and then pick the avenue that works best for you. All right. Well, y'all, unfortunately, this brings our time together to a close. I know it flew by. You're like, I could sit here for another 12 hours and just talk more and more about resilient budgeting. Um, but that's what the comments are for. So again, talk to me in the comments if what I shared today connected with you or you want to know more about a specific topic or concept, drop it in the comments and I'll be sure to try and cover it in future episodes. Again, like, share, connect with me. Share this with a friend if you think this will impact them or help them, or if you thought something today was something that everybody needs to know, feel free to share that information. And I hope you join us back again for another episode of Bad at Math, but Good with Money. So when's the next, uh, when's the next half marathon? When is, when that, is the when next is half happening? marathon? I try not to think about it. Um, <laughs> um, I really think I want to do something early 
2024. I'm thinking April, maybe a springtime marathon. Again, I told y'all April is my busiest month for finances. So maybe April will be when I cough up those coins to, to run another race. So y'all will have to stay tuned and see. That's awesome. And if you're interested in, in private coaching or private consultations, you can find all that information uh, below. Uh, again, like, comment, subscribe, and, and we really thank you for listening and watching today. Mm -hmm.